When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Thank you for listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from 6.30 on DAB, Smart Speaker and online at talkradio.co.uk. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Uh, Right now, let's turn our attention uh, to a new competition. It's a competition to become the UK's first all-electric bus town. Local authorities can now apply and they can set the gold standard environmentally friendly public transport. Well, uh, that's being announced today by the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapp, so I'm glad to say, joins us right now. Good morning to you. Morning, Jimmy. Good morning. So what's this competition? What does it, what What do you actually win? Do you win the electric buses? That, that's it. You you basically win an electric bus town. So we're, I mean, obviously, we're really keen to make sure that we can get uh, the sort of dirty buses out of towns, uh, clean up the air uh, and uh, improve everyone's health. And this competition today, which launches today, closes on uh, the at the end of April, is to have towns or small cities come forward uh, and uh, suggest themselves as Britain's first all-electric bus town uh, before we, uh, from there, go ahead to roll out many others. Um, and and in, in terms of, I mean, how many towns currently have electric buses? I know London had, uh, we, we got a load of electric and hybrid, I think, buses, uh, and, and a lot of them, I think, didn't they end up breaking down and had to re- go, go back to using their diesel engines? Well, there may have been some teething problems, I think, but I think in London, uh, quite a lot of the buses now are uh, pure electric, and uh, it is, I mean, it's, you know, you can, you can, you can taste the the air, can't you, when these diesels are, are running around? And it's I think it's absolutely essential we do move to this. Uh, I think the figures are something like between twenty six and thirty six thousand people die each year from no, they toxic don't. fumes. No, they don't. You're, no? You're, you're, really? no, you're, no, no, you're a cabinet minister, Grant Shapps. You should know the actual figures. That's an absolute nonsense made up figure. And I'm, I'm genuinely... Go on. You, NO2 from, from the uh, for, from toxins? Uh, no, no, no. That, 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 that figure is equivalent lives lost over a year. And it's an estimate. It was from a, it's from a supposedly reputable organisation. It's an estimate. That, those, those figures, to say that 26,000 people die as a result of this, it's absolute abject nonsense. Well, as you say, it's, it's an estimate, but I don't think it's so, no, no, It's an nonsense. estimate of equivalent lives lost. So this is the difference between you and I sitting in a care home at the age of 95 and living two weeks less. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't it's... know about you. I could probably, I could manage having two weeks less in return for having good I, transport I, I, around I, I, my I, capital city. I, I can see we're going to have to have a sort of, uh, a, a sort of how many people die from toxins face off here. I will come back with you with all of the please, the, the facts of my casual comment. But I think it's pretty but undeniable. No, no, but no, but that, no, no, that, no. That's the problem. That's the problem. Is that lots of people? Sadiq Khan does this as well. Lots of cabinet ministers. People are spouting these things as if they are fact. That that is that is quite simply not true. You don't think it's true? No, it's not a question of I don't think it's true. The actual, the actual, no, it's a paraphrasing that is meaningless. People have, it's equivalent lives lost, Mm. not people. 26,000 people do not die every year because we've got diesel and petrol cars. They do not. No, no, they do not die as a result. They do not. People die from lung cancer because they smoke. People die from other respiratory diseases. It's got nothing to do with with there being cars on the road. If you want to get rid of all of the respiratory diseases in the world. No smoking, we'll have no, we'll have no fridges, we'll have no central heating. Do you want to live in that world? Oh, hold on a minute. I think you're taking it to one extreme and it's quite clear that uh, it's, you know, when you, when you see stuff come out of, of tailpipes and it is uh, uh, toxic, uh, it is not good for people's health. We're agreed with that. Yes. We can argue about the, vehicles. So yes. we can argue about the numbers. Um, it is far better then, therefore, to have um, zero uh, output of both toxins and of CO2, two different issues, of course. Uh, And uh, this is going to massively help. So we can at least agree on that that fact. And and I'm going to come back to you with uh, the best scientific research on on how many people uh, are harmed. But I can't imagine for one moment that it's not the case that uh, toxic fumes don't hurt people's health. Uh, No, exactly. Happy to debate, but we must debate this on the facts. And Mm. this is one of the issues we've got with a lot of the the green initiatives. I will be going straight back to our chief scientific officer. uh, to, I'm, to give I'm, you the updated... I'm happy uh, to opinions. argue with him if he can't interpret his own data correctly. <laughs> I'm not pretending to be a scientific expert, but I do have the ability to read, and I've read the original report, and it doesn't say what you just said it said. Simple as that. People should go back to the original reports when they quote these things. Um, but this is where facts are getting lost in this debate. And this isn't about people being climate deniers or being happy for children to die of asthma. This is nonsense. There is a debate to be had about the, the costs and the benefits of going into green energy and how quickly we can do it. Now, uh, I spoke with one of your colleagues, Michael Gove, earlier this week uh, about this uh, announcement uh, about going to 2035 now being the date being brought forward for getting rid of diesel cars and petrol cars and also hybrid cars as well. And new evidence emerging today about uh, how hybrid cars actually possibly maybe even dirtier than diesel and, and petrol cars because of the way they're used. Uh, but do you, given that Michael Gove is a former environment secretary but not a transport secretary currently, do you know what the cost is going to be to provide the street furniture, the electric charging points for us to have 37 million vehicles on the road that are all electric? So at the moment we've got uh, more charging locations than petrol stations already. How many charging locations do we have? Uh, 24,000. 24,000. Let me just do the math. 37.5 million vehicles uh, divided by 24,000. It's not very many per car, is it? So uh, I was going to say, there's already more locations than there are petrol stations. So we're, we're, we're getting there. But you're right. We'll need a heck of a lot more uh, to do this. How long do you um, have to spend at a charging location? So, how time? How much so time? I drive an electric car. At maximum, it will charge at a thousand miles per hour. So just to put that into context, if I sat there for an hour, you'd be way more than you can fill up a whole uh, tank for, for. So usually five or ten uh, minutes is sufficient to top yourself up, possibly fill yourself up and, and move on. However, uh, about 60% of people have off-road parking, 65%. So a lot of people will charge up during the night on 
a driveway. Those who don't, we have to have lots of these lampposts uh, converted. But look, you're presenting this as an eve the raw, and I don't agree. I mean, we've just had this debate about how dangerous it is or not health-wise. We certainly know, and I don't think there's any argument, that it is uh, problematic from uh, the climate uh, perspective. So that's, I think, beyond uh, doubt. So we need to make the switch Anyway, we've just got to work out how the best way of doing it. And yes, this an announcement today is a big part That's of it. what I'm asking you about, how we make it and how much it's going to cost. It doesn't appear, from what, certainly from what Michael Gove told me, and I'm asking, you know, do, do you know, you know, how much is it going to cost to provide all those charges? How much is it going to cost to provide, for instance, all the electricity generation? How many new electricity generating plants are you planning to build to actually power all of these electric vehicles? Um, have we seen any cost-benefit analysis of this? Has the government carried any out? Well, a big cost-benefit analysis would the, uh, be the world not uh, warming up to the point no, where... That's, no, no, that's no, that, no, no that's I'm big... sorry, that's, that's not... No. But I'm let me sorry. answer your no, question. Let me answer your question. Well, yes, got, yeah. I asked the question. But that's, let me answer it. That's exactly the sort of response taxpayers say, well, that's fine. No, no, no. How much is it going to cost me as a driver? How much is it going to cost me as a taxpayer okay. for us to move to this Julia, let me get a word in. World. I'll answer your questions, I promise you. First of all, um, the cost is not a sort of straight line thing. In as much as this will be commercially provided, by and large, uh, which means just like you don't ask me how much does it cost to produce petrol stations mm-hmm. to fill up cars, it's also a slightly odd question to ask how much much it would cost to um, produce all of these charging locations. Secondly, they're going to provide when commercially, you, when you, you think? Yes, yes absolutely. Okay. There's many commercial companies involved. The government is, of course, also helping to sort of pump prime that in order to get it going. We've got a billion pounds going into the electric car charging network at the moment. But yes, it will be largely privately provided like a petrol station is. Mm-hmm. And secondly, when you own one of these cars, it's a fraction of the cost to drive. So, for example, I will drive from London to Manchester. It will cost about £7 in a electricity as opposed to a probably a full tank of uh, fuel or nearly a full t- tank of fuel. So um, the cost of ownership is less, but the cost of buying them currently is more. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why we want the UK to lead in uh, electric car production and why we're talking to all okay. the electric car manufacturers. Uh, one of the reasons why an electric car is cheaper to actually use, if not to buy first hand, uh, is because of fuel duty. £35 billion pounds are raised every single year. Uh, fourth biggest uh, tax stream uh, for the, 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 the government from uh, tax on uh, fuel. Um, well, when you haven't got people driving diesel and petrol cars anymore and you're not going to be able to raise that £35 billion from that, presumably you're going to have to start taxing, oh, I don't know, electricity or other things, at which point they don't become cheaper to use, do they? Or what other taxes are you planning to put up to replace that revenue stream? Well, these are extremely long-term decisions, which you're absolutely right. They're will not. Have to they're be... not. You're planning, to, you're planning to ban the sale of hybrid diesel and petrol cars in 15 years' time. Well, me, That's let, not extremely let me long-term. Get my answer, let me get my answer out. I mean, it's, this is 15 years' time, uh, not now. And also, by the way, that's new sales. So there's obviously a long tail of uh, existing vehicles still being on the road. But you're absolutely right to say it does, of course, challenge the existing tax base. Uh, but over a long... So we, we, we have some a decade, two decades, three decades to resolve a different way of doing it. And can I suggest to you, Julia, that you don't necessarily... That there are other ways to do this. You don't have to carry on spending money, of course. Uh, and then that way you don't have to raise money. So there may be more efficient ways to do things and run our economy. But these are decisions that... Few future chancellors will 
doubtless okay. be making in years to come. And just one final question. The motor industry yesterday said that uh, that plan on 2035 was a date without a plan, uh, really, and that basically their worry is that people are going to hold on to older petrol and diesel cars rather than move to hybrids, uh, which are cleaner, and uh, and because they're just they're worried about the future resale of value of their car. What if this ends up the same way that the, the tax dispensation on, on uh, diesel cars, because everyone mm. thought they were cleaner than petrol, what if this ends up having a net negative effect, as often these sort of plans do? Well, yeah, I'm working very closely with the society of most of the manufacturers and the manufacturers themselves. And of course, they've been heavily invested in the internal combustion engine. So lots of challenges switching over. Um, this is at the stage of consultation. So we're going to be speaking to them uh, about all of these um, issues. But uh, look, I don't think this is like the diesel thing. I, I agree with you. I'm massively critical of what the then Labour government did in the 90s when they pushed everybody into diesel, uh, claiming it was somehow uh, better. And then, you know, lo and behold, everyone says, hold on, that's okay. pretty dirty and not a good idea. I don't think we're going to be in the same position with uh, electric vehicles because they're clearly, whatever our arguments about how many people die from fumes each year, electric vehicles clearly are clean. OK, just finally, on this new fleet of electric buses uh, that you're, you're going to be providing to the, uh, the, the town that wins this, uh, this uh, competition, are we also going to see more buses generally? Because we know one of the uh, big issues that Labour raised at the last general election was uh, about her, actually, you know, lots of people, we argue about trains an awful lot and cars, but actually an awful lot of people get, by, get around by buses and they don't have an alternative, but there just aren't enough bus services for them. Yes, absolutely. Today, this is part of a £170 million package, which is in no small part about getting these buses more reliable, super bus networks. So they run a bit more like they do for those who are familiar in London, where you can pretty much jump on and off a bus. They're reliable. They turn up. We want it to be like that across the country. Recognise there's a long way to go to get there. But that's what part of this funding is about today. OK, thank you very much for joining us. Transport. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Transport Secretary Grant Chaps there uh, joining me uh, talking, well, initially about all electric uh, bus town competition. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Now let's talk to one of those who flew back on those those flights from Wuhan. Uh, Matt Raw is currently in quarantine in Arrow Park Hospital on the Wirral uh, and joins us now. Good morning to you, Matt. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, you've been there. You've been there for uh, for a week. You've got another week to go. Um, wh- how, how? What is the experience? Presumably, you've uh, exhibited no symptoms, uh, so you're just sort of living a normal life, but somehow locked away. What's it been like? Well, I, I guess, yeah, you, you, you're quite right. Uh, we, we have literally just been told late last night that uh, that we will be allowed out on uh, uh, Thursday week. Uh, so so a week to go, no symptoms. Uh, we are all, hopefully, uh, for all intents and purposes, we are we are all uh, perfectly OK for the time being. <clears throat> and as long as, as as long as it stays like that, then, yes, we'll, we'll be allowed out. And it's, I guess, living here, it's, it's very much... We're not prisoners. We we are allowed to actually uh, move outside in a courtyard. We can get fresh air. We can open a window. So they're doing the very the, the NHS. You know, as as, as uh, the, the professor said a few minutes ago, uh, whilst whilst the government may have been a little bit slow to start off with, the NHS was ready for us. We have this wonderful wonderful institution in the UK, the NHS. And you know, sometimes they may get bad press. Sometimes they get good press. The fact is that when something major like this happens, they're ready yep. and, and they're looking after us. And, and, and specifically, because obviously, you know, so, some people may not look at this as, as, as positively as, as, as I do. Um, but you've, you've, but, you've been but, happy with how you've been treated. There was some talk about there were donations coming in from local people on the Wirral and, uh, and people being very welcoming. How are you all getting on? I mean, it was, at least you're not, you know, you're not going to be there for a year. It's only a couple of weeks. But uh, are, are people, is there quite a lot of camaraderie? I think, yeah, very, very much so. I mean, I, I personally, I would like to think that the, uh, the, 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 the reason for putting us here on the Wirral is quite simply, I mean, let's face it, the, the people of Merseyside have a reputation for being the friendliest and most humorous people in the British Isles. <laughs> so if you're going to if you're going if you're going to put us anywhere, put put us somewhere in Merseyside and and, and at least you, put a smile on our face. You're you feeling know. you're feeling welcomed. And in terms of day to day life, um, is this you know are you just you know you, you're getting up? You, are you are you all able to mix with each other, or are you all supposed to to stay in your own rooms? Right. Well, obviously. It's it, 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 it's probably a little bit of common sense, but uh, but uh, uh, public health England obviously is is saying do your best to try and avoid contact with other people. Now we're in an apartment with uh, so, so we've got my wife and I in one bedroom, uh, my mother's in a bedroom next door, and we've got uh, in another bedroom within this apartment we've got a uh, a, a new quarantine neighbour who's, who's sort of now become a new best friend. Um, along with her, uh, her husband, who's uh, uh, who, who, who isn't here, um, who, who stayed in England. So, you know, we, we're very much looking forward to having a barbecue with him when we get out. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes, you're, you're, this is almost like being in the Big Brother house, but without the cameras. You, you, do you know, I, that's, you've hit the nail on the head. It really, really is. 
you know, there's, there's, there's obviously there's a lot of media attention um, for, for, for what uh, at present is effectively a story that says, hey, man flies from China to Manchester, stays in a hotel for two weeks and doesn't get sick. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it, 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 it sort of feels like it shouldn't be that big a story, but obviously the, the background behind it, it, it obviously is. And so, yes, it does feel a bit like the Big Brother house, uh, except for the fact that there are no cameras um, everyone is 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 pulling together to you know just just make this as as as, as bearable as possible. And, and what about when when you're sitting there, say, having breakfast uh, to, together, and someone sneezes? Do you not all just look aghast at each other, and be horrified because the prospect of one of you coming down and you having been sitting there with your in your incubation period for two weeks with that would mean that, of course, you will all be there another two weeks, even if you don't get the virus yourself. Are you all quite aware of each other's health? That that is very very true. Uh, I mean, speaking for myself, I, 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 you know, if somebody coughs or sneezes. Uh, I, you know, straight away we, we 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 pull out a finger and point. Hey, he's got the lurgy. He's got it. Uh, that's 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 my sense of humour. That may not be appreciated by others, uh, but uh, but again, you know, we are advised to stay apart as much as possible. So so we're not actually dining together. We will take our food and and, and bring it up to to our rooms. So 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 there are only just a few of us you know, uh, yes. uh, dining together. So, you know, we try to segregate as, 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 as much as we can. Um, but, you know, the, the, there are numerous uh, um, uh, social media groups within uh, within here where... where you're you're keeping in contact. Well, look, well, I mean, we, we might, we might if you don't mind, I know you're, you have to stay in until Thursday next week, so you've got another week to go, but we'd love you to catch up with you near the end of the week, see how you're all still coping, uh, staying <laughs> sane and, and, and looking after each other. But it's good to hear you're all in good spirits. Send my best to your family and uh, and everyone else there from here, everyone here at Talk Radio. Matt, we're all uh, in quarantine in the... Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer. Weekday mornings from 6.30 on Talk Radio. I'm Spartacus! I'm Spartacus! We're all Spartacus today, aren't we? Of course, uh, Kirk Douglas was married twice, had four children, including, of course, uh, the Oscar-winning actor Michael Douglas. Well, let's talk to Richard Fitzwilliams. You'll know him as a regular royal correspondent, but also a long-time film critic. Good morning to you, Richard. Good morning, Julia. Good, Good heavens, I remember. I, I won't say what age I was, but uh, Spartacus was one of the highlights of that period in the 1960s. And I have to say that uh, he printed, uh, so to speak, uh, his uh, image on a whole generation. In fact, everyone remembers him as Spartacus. No, exactly. And also, I mean, it's a, it's a well-known sort of, you know, gif and meme and things on, 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 uh, on, on, on social media now. So people do know that perhaps they might not know who the actor was, much younger people. But it's an incredible career that he's had. I mean, it's six decades that he was, you know, in the prime of his life. And also, you know, sporting a, uh, a family dynasty in Hollywood as well with Michael Douglas and, of course, his, his wife, Catherine Zeta-Jones. A lovely trip being paid by Michael Douglas overnight, saying to the world he was a legend, an actor from the golden age of movies who lived well into his golden years, a humanitarian whose commitment to justice and the causes he believed in set a standard for all of us to aspire to. But to me and my brothers Joel and Peter, he was simply dad. And he certainly had that dynastic aspect to it. Also, I mean, of all the aggressive, ambitious fighters, well, I've got to mention that in the 1990s, he was involved in a helicopter crash and he had a severe stroke. I mean, how he fought back 
to last until 103. He was 101. He appeared at the Golden Globes. I mean, this was someone who was absolutely indefatigable. There's no question that he was also exceptionally difficult as a person to work with because he was born into real poverty. And the film The Champions in 1946 started to lift his career. But the real performance, one of the things I always found about Kirk Douglas, and, and I mean, he was his top performances, I think, were the 50s and 60s. Uh, a movie like Lust for Life, where he played Vincent van Gogh opposite Anthony Quinn's Goga, was an extraordinary movie, and he gave the part a tremendous amount of depth, as yeah. well as well, the physicality. Well, that's it. Trademark. He was nominated three times for the Best Actor Oscar. Uh, he didn't. He never actually won one for an individual film, but he did get uh, his contrib- contribution uh, for an honorary Oscar, sort of his Lifetime Achievement Award, as a creative and moral force in the movie industry. Because, of course, he did also get very heavily involved in politics as well, didn't he? Oh, he did. In fact, there was practically nothing that he didn't get involved with because on the one hand, he was so proud. You mentioned his, I'm so glad you mentioned his political involvement. In Spartacus, he broke the Hollywood blacklist by employing or openly employing Dalton Trumbo as the film screenwriter. And when President Kennedy broke the American Legion picket line to attend the movie, that basically was the end of something evil. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Thank you for listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from 6.30 on DAB, Smart Speaker and online at talkradio.co.uk. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.